and welcome to Fair Trade, a series in the Project Zion podcast where courageous people share their candid stories of their faith journey and what brought them to Community of Christ. I'm your host, Brittany Mangelson, and I'm here today with Christian Ramirez. Now, we just recently had his wife, Heidi Ramirez, on on a Fair Trade episode, and so I'm really excited to have Christian on today. So Christian, welcome, and why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Uh, hi, Brittany. Uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to this podcast. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to be here. So I'm um, uh, Christian Ramirez, and uh, as you mentioned, my wife uh, joined uh, Community of Christ uh, July of uh, 2022. And, um, um, you know, that's how I got introduced to uh, the Community of Christ. Uh, but a little bit about myself. Uh, I live in Orlando, Florida. And I am originally from the Dominican Republic, but, but I have spent m- most of my, well, more than half of my life in the U.S. I got uh, to this country at the age of uh, 22, back in uh, 1995. You can do the math there, and you'll know how old I am. Um, and uh, for uh, for uh, about 30 years of my life, I was a member of the, of the LDS Church, and then uh, um about uh, two to three years ago, I, I kind of left uh, that church. Um, so that's a little bit about myself. We have three kids. And the youngest is about to go to college, and that's it. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited for this conversation. Uh, we recently spent a little bit of time at World Conference together, and spent m- I spent most of our time together laughing. So Christian is a hoot and very funny. And this should be a great conversation. So uh, let's just dive right on in. So how was church for you growing up? Did you grow up religious um, when you lived in the Dominican Republic? Were you active in any sort of congregation or spiritual life? Um, what did God look like for you? Just start talking about your early, early years. For sure. Uh, so I grew up in a home where we were Catholic, but not really active. Uh, so that, that was the tradition that my, that I, uh, received, uh, from my parents and that my parents received for, from their parents, but we were not really active in the Catholic church. We, church, we would go to church maybe on, or, you know, certain events, maybe, um, for mass, you know, New Year's mass or something or, Maybe somebody in the family, you know, passed away. So you went to mass, uh, because they, they, they would do a mass to remember that person. Uh, very little church attendance as I grew up, but at home, we were expected to not really join other churches. So as soon as we uh, show interest in, in, in other churches, like, I don't know, evangelical churches or, or, or even the earliest church actually that I had before I joined, I had two encounters with missionaries. My parents, we were not very happy that, uh, you know, that I was talking to the LDS missionaries. So not a lot of religion uh, until I joined uh, the LDS church at the age of 14. And uh, I did uh, read um, here and there the New Testament. Uh, they would, it, it's common to get um, uh, in the DR at least, uh, um, a lot of churches would give you like a uh, the New Testament only for free, a pocket version of it. I don't see it a lot in the U.S. I know I, in World Conference I saw one uh, in the uh, offices of the apostles, 
but I would read the New Testament when I uh, grew up, but I didn't really pray or, or anything like that. God, God was was mostly a mystery for me, you know, growing up. So I'm interested to hear more about your conversion to the LDS church. Can you share that story? Particularly, like, what what drew you to the LDS church? What did you enjoy about it at the beginning? Just share yeah. that conversion story. Yeah, for sure. So we uh, first uh, uh, received missionaries in our home. I think it was probably 1985, and I was uh, maybe 12 years old. And uh, it w- it was these two sister missionaries, and uh, of course, you know, they knock on doors and everything like that. And uh, we let them in, and they uh, basically wanted to talk to the whole family, but my mom and dad were not interested. So, so then it was me and my sister who was who would sit with them and listen to uh, uh, to what uh, they had to say. So. They uh, talked about the Book of Mormon, and that was, uh, uh, you know, something that I had never heard of. And they invited us to activities that they would do. So, I think one of the things that drew me to that church was the that they would do a lot of activities for young people. And I, uh, my sister knew someone, and I knew someone also, uh, 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 a classmate that that was uh, LDS. So that was interesting there, there. And also, to be honest with you, I also wanted to uh, learn English. And most of the missionaries were Americans um, at that time, uh, you know, in the 80s, in the DR. So I thought it was cool that I got, uh, you know, I would get a chance to practice my, my English or learn English if I, uh, you know, if I let the missionaries preach and so on. They would offer English classes, too. That was kind of like an incentive to, to kind of like hook people into uh, listening to the discussions. So a lot of people were interested, interested in the DR about learning English because uh, the main um, industry there is tourism. And a lot of Americans go there and people from other places. So so it's important to learn English. But uh, uh, so the second time they came. So that one time my mom told us, no, you cannot join that church. You know, you, you're not going to do it. So it was funny because... In 85, after the missionaries came, the two sister missionaries, we told them that we couldn't, uh, we, we were not going to join the church, you know, because obviously they press for baptism. They want you to, they, they wanted to set a date and all of that. So we told them we couldn't do it. You know, our parents don't want us to join. Right after we told them that and we said, we love you, but you, you know, don't come back, you know, because we're going to get in trouble at home. My mom made us go to catechism after that instance with the Mormon missionaries. So we were forced to go to catechism and I did not like it, but I had to go to catechism. And and then we actually joined the Catholic Church officially. Like We baptized, uh, did the baptism and the first communion. That's it. That was that. Um, But I don't think even after I went through the baptism and the first communion, uh, I didn't really go to church after that. So I just did it and my sister did it because my mom made us do it. They, they just forced us to do it after she got nervous with the Mormon missionaries. So then a few uh, uh, years later, two years, three years later, I I, I became friends with uh, another boy at, at school. The, his family was, uh, you know, LDS and, and very involved in the LDS church. In fact, his dad was uh, the first uh, branch president uh, in that in my hometown 
for the LDS church. So we became friends. We invited me to church, and that's when I joined, like two two years later. But I did not tell my mom. So I baptized in the LDS church in secret. I just went to my my baptism and did not invite anybody. I just did it secretly, and then I told my mom after I did it, hey, by the way, I joined the LDS church. That did not go down very well with my mom or my dad. So for a few years there, they did not like the church very much, but then they saw that, hey, you know, at least he's, at least he's not getting in trouble and, and so on. So that was kind of my journey. The second time around, of course, they, uh, you know, the missionaries wanted me to pray to, to uh, you know, ask God if the Book of Mormon was true, and I did that, and I don't think I got an answer, but I didn't feel bad about it. I, you know, I made some friends in the church, so, so I ended up joining um, uh, the church. Um, so that that's pretty much how it went down. So, Christian, you mentioned that it didn't, you know, when you joined uh, the LDS <laughs> church, that it didn't go super great. Can you share a little bit more about that? Um, how do those yeah, conversations yeah. go? Yeah, so I think uh, my parents were... They had fear, right? Because, uh, the, you know, Mormons in the DR are not really seen as Christians. And also, you're gonna, you're gonna find this kind of funny. A lot of people in the DR, back in those days, and even today, they think that Mormon missionaries are basically CIA, uh, spies. <laughs> so, you know, that there is a plot, that they're there because the U.S. government sends them to spy on the Dominican, uh, the people. To understand that, you really have to understand a lot of history, right? Because, you know, we, the U.S. is always the big nation, powerful nation, right? And uh, it has a colonialist past as well, right? Like in, in Cuba, Puerto Rico, and other places. And then, you know, over the uh, the 20th century, the, the, you know, the U.S. sent troops to different countries, you know, like including the DR uh, a couple of times, Uh in other places in South America, you know, fighting communists, in the name of that, fighting communism and so on. So there's a lot of distrust sometimes. It's not like the Dominican people don't love the American people. They do, but they distrust the American government uh, oftentimes. So in my family, they were not, uh, you know, I think they had that distrust, especially my dad. They, my dad totally thought that they were spies, <laughs> the missionaries, you know. And also he thought, my dad particularly, that I was going to, uh, that my uh, uh, studies, like you know, my uh, my homework and all the things I had to do, my homework assignments for school, were going to suffer because of my involvement at school. And so that was one of the main uh, tensions between my dad and I, that he always thought that oh, you have to focus on school, you can't focus on that church. And... Uh, Pretty much that was it. Uh, the time that I would spend, because as you know, the LDS church requires a lot of time, right? So there are a lot of meetings, a lot of things you do. So it, it was an ongoing source of tension, you know, the time that I would spend at church. Thank goodness, I, you know, I don't think my performance at school suffered at all, but, but I had that pressure all the time that my dad felt like I did, you know, he didn't want me to be involved and so on. But then little by little, they realized that I wasn't really getting in trouble. The main thing was the time, the, invest, the time investment, the, the, you know, seminary, getting up early. They didn't understand that stuff. Like, why do you have to get up so early to go to that, you know? So I think at, at some 
point, or uh, to some degree, I think my dad particularly thought that I was being brainwashed and indoctrinated, I think. I don't know that he articulated it that way, but but I think he felt that, 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 you know, that was the case. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think it's important. It's an important part of your story because so often when we talk about faith transitions, we talk about that tension when you leave Mormonism or whatever church, you know, you, you were coming from. However, joining the LDS church initially can also cause friction. And for those of us, you know, who were like, I was born LDS. I know your wife was as well. We haven't experienced that tension on that side of it. So, so you, you know, joining the restoration movement had that at least some sort of breakdown in maybe trust, communication, understanding with your family. Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Uh, I can, if I may, I, I would like to add, uh, one more thing. There, there is persecution too, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, because, um, when you join uh, a church like the LDS Church, that's that's quite different than the other Christian denominations. You people, re- they mock you, honestly. Like uh, they make fun of you. They uh, do all these things, right? So I had to endure all that. So like I, I remember the first time that I wore uh, a tie to go to church. That's not something that boys do in the DR, right? Where a tie, that's, you know, I remember uh, that I, uh, you walk, in my hometown, you walk from A, you know, point A to point B. Uh, there was a car in my house, but but a lot of people don't have a car, right? So you have to walk a lot. And I remember that I had to basically go, we lived at the end of the street, so I had to really walk through the whole street to go to church, and boy, that was hard the first day I wore that tie because my friends were making fun of me. And it's not pleasant. You know, I was just a 14-year-old boy, right, with the tie. And people, what are you doing wearing that tie? Mormon, you're a spy. Or, you know, things like that. And uh, and, and then it gets easier, you know. But there's a, a, a little bit of that, right? Oh, you don't drink or, you know. you. There's some persecution, yes. Not Not... Physical aggression, but people—you're not very popular if you are, if you if you join a church like the LDS Church in the DR. Maybe things have changed now, but when I joined in the eighties, it was it wasn't fun to be Mormon. <laughs> oh, sorry to hear that. So, I guess just keep telling your story. So, um, I'm curious to know. When you moved to the States, how you met Heidi, what the timeline of all of that was, and then how your religious life uh, continued. So just keep sharing your story. For sure. So, um, you know, I continue to go back to the, uh, uh, you know, the time investment in the LDS church because it's heavy. It's a lot, right? So as I grew up from, as I continue to get, you know, to go from, adolescence to, to adulthood and everything like that. There were so many things I did in the church because it was so small in the DR. So, so everybody had a job, a calling to do. And, uh, it was busy. Like, uh, you know, I was, uh, I helped on a, with a lot of different things, teaching or, or, uh, you know, doing the financial side of things, like, you know, being a financial clerk, very young too. It's just there's not that many people. The congregations were so small. So I did so many things. And then, of course, at some point, 
you are expected to to go serve a mission. That's what you're supposed to do when you when you get to the correct age. So I decided I was gonna go. That was another point of a lot of tension in my house, especially with my dad, because he wanted me. To, I was I went to to college for a year, and then I stopped that to go serve a mission, and then my dad wasn't very happy with that, and my mom wasn't happy because she never understood why I cannot see you or 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 why can you not call home? And th- those were the days where you couldn't call only Christmas during Christmas and Mother's Mother's Day, I think. So, so I decided to go against their wishes. I did it. Uh, and I got assigned to go to the, uh, uh, to, to serve a mission in the DR, but, but the northern part of the country, because I'm from the southern part of the country. Anyway, so before I served my mission, uh, I was about 18, 19. I met Heidi, my wife, because she was a missionary there in the Dominican Republic. And, um, I choose, she was actually friends with my sisters more than me, obviously, because I was a boy and they're not supposed to be talking to boys too much. Uh, you know, all the rules that LDS missionaries have to abide, uh, you know, obey and so on. So I got to meet her when she was serving there in my hometown. And, um, and that, that was a key moment, right? Because we met and then when I went on my mission, she wrote to me a few times. And I always tease her that, and I say that, hey, you kind of liked me when you were a missionary. She denies that, but I think she, I think she likes me, Brittany. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. So, well, she won't deny it to this end. <laughs> anyway, and then I like to say that she brought me in her suitcase to the U.S., you know. <laughs> and so I went on my mission, served my mission. She wrote me a couple of times. And uh, in one of the letters, I think I told her, hey, don't forget to send me your wedding invitation because I, I thought that was very cool. You get to meet people, they get married, send you the invitation. So so it was a nice thing, right, getting those in the mail. Then I, when I got done with my mission, I uh, started going to college again and I moved to the uh, Santo Domingo, which is the capital of the Dominican Republic. And Heidi came back with her mom on vacation uh, a few months after I, I was done with my mission. And that's how we connected again. Um, uh, I was very surprised that she wasn't married. Here again, we go back to the LDS, the different LDS pressures, right? You're supposed to have mission, you're supposed to get married right away. So I felt all those pressures, you know, because when I got done with my mission, the next thing is you have to get married really quick and really soon and all of that, right? So she came to the DR and it had been maybe two to three years, uh, maybe three years since she was she had been done with her mission. So in my head, when I saw her, I was kind of like surprised. I thought, oh, she's still single, you know, in my head. Right? So we went to dinner and everything like that. And then when her mom was there with her in that trip. And when her mom realized that I wasn't like a threat or anything like that, then she let me take Heidi uh, on a date on, you know, just the two of us. The reason being is that, um, it really is an issue, safety for lady missionaries in the Dominican Republic, because guys will say things to them. And there's not a lot that I know of, a lot of like, uh, you know, f- physical assault or anything like that. But they get, they hear things, mm. a lot of things when they're riding their bikes in the VR and not nice things. Uh, and I'm not going to go into that in this podcast. Uh, but not every Dominican man will say bad, you know, really naughty things. But a lot do, and it, it, you know, so and Heidi's mom knew that, so that's why she came with Heidi to the DR. She wouldn't let her go along to the DR. 
And um, anyway, so then we started talking and, you know, dating and all of those scenes. And uh, and we ended up uh, getting married in 1995. It was a long distance, uh, uh, you know, kind of relationship for a while there for, you know, about nine months, I want to say. So if you think about it, it was a very quick. Uh, now, when I look back, I think it was quick. Like we didn't really know each other that well. And then in a period of nine months, and we get married. So we we did that, right? So then I came to the United States, and uh, we lived uh, with Heidi's parents for about a year, nine months, eleven months, I forget, in uh, the uh, San Francisco Bay Area in in Danville, uh, close to Walnut Creek, uh, in, you know, the East Bay is what they call it. So then. Uh, you know, we got married in the Oakland Temple, and uh, I just started, you know, going to school again. You know, I had been going to school for close to two years in the VR, but none of that stuff counted. So I had to start college again when I came to the U.S. That's how I got to the U.S., uh, and we were very poor for a long time. <laughs> you know, she was, the, she, because she was a teacher, and she was the, the, the uh, basically the breadwinner until for a long time until I, you know, was able to get done uh, with my education. And uh, then after, uh, you know, I got done with uh, my associate's degree, I went to a community college in the Bay Area. Then I went to a, a Catholic school to finish finish up my education, uh, St. Mary's College. They, they, you know, it's, they have a program where you go once a week for like a year and a half. And then you wrap up the, the last two years of, uh, you know, of your education so that you can then get a bachelor's degree. So that's what I did. I would work during the day and get, then go to school once, once a week at night and no, no breaks. You just go to school for about a year and a half. It's, you know, it's for working adults, uh, a program for work, working adults. And then, then after I got done with that, uh, we moved to Sacramento and, uh, you know, we, we had our first, uh, kid, uh, Tino, who is getting married uh, next week. So that's kind of like how I got and ended up in the U.S. And, and now I'll just say one more thing in pause, but uh, there are a lot of Dominicans in this country, but not where I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in New York City, Boston, you know, the eastern seaboard, that, that side of the country. Uh, and I ended up in the West, right, in California. So it was... Uh, I know this is about religion, but it was the cultural shock was was huge for me when I came to this country. Um, I knew the language uh, enough to go to college and not have to take English classes, but it was uh, it, it, it took me a while to to get used to living in America. Uh, maybe a, a good two years, I would say. Yeah, well, I actually was going to ask about that because I know that within Mormonism, there's this idea that the church is the same everywhere you go. And so when you leave your home country and you're part of a religion that claims that it's the same everywhere you go, I was wondering if that helped at all in your transition to living in the States. Was that like constant or was that community? What kind of helped settle some of that cultural shock or did, did that impact it at all? Great question. I, you know, looking back, uh, there was, uh, I, I guess, some sort, to some degree, they, they, you know, I found a community, 
But um, to be honest with you, I felt more comfortable with Americans that were not Mormons than with Americans that were Mormons, to be honest with you. So with some exceptions, right? I think we attended a congregation in uh, um, in Sacramento for about four years where I felt really comfortable, but, but that wasn't the case uh, in other congregations that we attended. English-speaking congregations, because, of course, the LES Church had their, their uh, you know, Spanish-speaking congregations and so on. So uh, oftentimes it was very uncomfortable. Um, I really felt foreign and I was made uh, to also feel foreign, you know, uh, to, I was even called a Lamanite. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of stuff in jest. I think, I don't think the guy meant it in a bad way, but I I didn't like it, you know? No. Uh, um, So they, the political situation too, right? Uh, I never, when I got to this country, I didn't know much about the politics, but then I started forming my own opinions and I felt like you had to fit, uh, uh, fit a certain mold in there, in the LDS church. You, you have to be conservative. Mm. It means you have to be Republican, uh, and so on. And I did not align with some of that stuff. And I did not align with some of the things that were said in Elder Scorn because, to be honest with you, a lot, a lot of the things I felt it were um, some of the things that were discussed were from the perspective of uh, someone who was white Republican and male. You know, uh, there's these moments, and so it was really hard uh, to 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 be in Elder Scorn uh, oftentimes. And, and it's not like I, I respect other, you know, other perspectives, but it's like you're expected to toe the line, you know, and I, I just never did. So, so it was uh, very uncomfortable for me to, to, to do that, um, uh, to, to be part of that group. So, so going back to your question, I don't think I found the community that I felt I was going to find. And then, of course, there's cultural stuff, nothing to do with politics, you know, like uh, in the DR, people are really warm. And friendly, and, and then here in the U.S., you know, we tend to be maybe more reserved and so on. So, uh, so, so, yeah, it wasn't an easy transition, and I really, uh, my friendships were probably found outside of the church. When I, at college, for example, when I went to college or at work, I felt that people people were more uh, approachable and friendly than at church. To be honest with you, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I. I think that it's a really important perspective um, that like gets out there because <laughs> this idea that, you know, if you convert to this one true way of thinking, then that means that it's going to impact your politics. It's going to impact your worldview. And then you'll, you know, conform to the group think, if you will. Uh, and if, if you're coming in from it with an international perspective and you're getting to know the landscape of American culture. And then you recognize like, oh, here in the States within Mormonism, that means that you must adhere to this, 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 this. And even in joking, you know, take something like the Book of Mormon and the Lamanite community and have that put on you, even even in joking. Like there's a lot of cultural layers there and that are very political and racial and you know racially charged just straight up racist and 
encountering that in the quote unquote one true church where people are supposed to be, you know, Christian, like that's, that's tricky. That's, that's really tricky. I felt uh, that, uh, and I cannot prove this, right? I don't have evidence. I can just tell you what I think, but I felt in, in certain cases when I had uh, the positions of leadership in the LDS church that uh, some um, guys, I'm talking about men particularly, they, it did not sit well with them. Like if I'm, if I'm asking a guy, because uh, I was in the in the uh, elder scrum multiple times as a leader, right? I would I would go in and uh, you know ask him about you know the uh, what do they call those the interviews you do the uh, personal interviews and so on, where you ask him about where if they're visiting their families and all that. Some 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 guys were not very pleased. I felt that I was asking them those questions, right? That they would have to report to a brown guy. I felt that sometimes. I don't know. Maybe it was my uh, my impression, I cannot prove it to you, but but uh, it felt like they didn't like being told what to do or, or you know, by a, a brown guy, you know. Uh, oftentimes, if they ask you to introduce yourself when you go to a new congregation, some people will be shocked if, when I said that I work in technology because they felt like maybe I worked in construction or something. All these you know, stereotypes of Hispanic people. Oh, you cannot be in technology, right? Because you're Hispanic. You, you need to be in the hotel industry or or you're a landscaper or you're in construction and so on. So I run into that kind of stuff all the time. Not not very comfortable, you know, very uncomfortable, to be honest with you. Uh, and then the political stuff, oh my gosh, you know, like all the jokes about it, you know, oh, we'll let you in. We'll, yeah, that's okay. We'll let, you're a Democrat. We'll, we'll have to put up with you. The, the constant comments about politics uh, and, and actually I got into a few arguments arguments to be honest with you here and there you know where, where I just you know couldn't take it anymore but uh, there was one time I have to say this it's not representative of my experience in that church you know I, I people ask me have did somebody ever said anything overtly racist to you and the only time it happened it was inside of the temple yeah yeah uh, where this guy, uh, we were working, my wife and I were volunteers, and he asked me in Spanish, in, in Spanish, if I was a wetback. <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, it just, it's a derogatory word that you use for Mexican people because they, you know, there's the Rio Grande. Uh, oh my gosh. And so, they some people swim to cross the border, so that's a derogatory thing, right? So he asked me inside of the temple in Spanish, right? And he thought it was funny. Wow. That that. So I confronted the guy, and we had, um, and I said, "You, you need to be more respectful. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me, and you shouldn't use that term and all those different things." And so this guy thought it was funny to say that, you know. And uh, there was somebody uh, from his uh, group because they were part of a group of kids that went, I mean, he wasn't a kid, but he was with a group of kids that were doing, uh, you know, baptisms and so on. The leader of, I don't know if it was a bishop or who it was, he came to apologize to me, but in the temple of all places, right, the, <laughs> you run in, in, into this kind of thing, right? So, yeah, I don't think I've, I, I, I tried to forget that incident, but it, it was just awful, you know? Yeah. Well, and again, 
I could probably rant about this for far too long, but let alone like the plight of the refugee, the plight of the downtrodden, the plight of those who are the most vulnerable. As Christians, one would think that you would be compassionate towards that, not turn it into a derogatory slur that in, you know, supposed God's house, like the Lord's house, you're going to turn that and weaponize that against someone like that. That is a horrifying, absolutely horrifying story. And I'm really, really sorry that that happened. Yeah, no, thank you. It, it, you know, I moved on and everything like that, but I was pretty upset and so was Heidi too. And so were, to be honest with you, giving credit to the whole party, the person that spoke to me was just, he couldn't say sorry enough times, you know, they were so embarrassed, right? That this guy said that and that he thought it was cool to say that. It was funny to say that uh, and, and so on. Um, but yeah, the racial situation was very uncomfortable. I, I heard, heard other comments, you know, in meetings and things, uh, you know, so it, it was just a source of discomfort for me the whole time I was in that church. Um, things that would be said, right? Um, I remember in Orlando, somebody said something about, about this group of kids and he had to specify that the kids that did it were Hispanic, right? And we were in Elder Scorum, and there was a guy uh, that's not Hispanic, and he got up and he got so upset at the comment that he called on the guy and said, "Like, why do you have to say that they were Hispanic? If it would have been a group of white kids or black or whoever, brown, yellow, you know, well, why do you have to say that? You don't have to say that. Just say the story. With, I mean, this guy." So I was, you know, there were things like that that I saw that were good to see because, and I was, I was going to say something, but this guy stood up and said it for me, right? Well, you know, things like that, stereotypes about, uh, you know, like the whole stigma about welfare, right? You know, I heard leaders, you know, they think that only Hispanic people get welfare and black people, not white people. And you have to set them straight and say, hey, stop that, you know. Anyway. It was just, uh, uh, it, it was just uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. Constant tension. It sounds like oh, oh, constantly. Yeah, if you went, if you attended a uh, English-speaking congregation, that's the stuff that you have to deal with all the time. Stereotypes, uh, people uh, questioning your authority. Sometimes if you're in leadership roles. You know, and I felt that, that it's because I was brown. I don't know that, that that's how I felt. Or people expecting you to fit the mold, right? Politically speaking, or, or to think like everybody thinks, you know, just a lot of tension in, in the, uh, what is it? So I was here 95 to in the 20 plus years that I attended the church in the U.S. The earliest church. Yeah. And I'm assuming that once you started doubting the truth claims of the LDS church, I mean, all of your very lived experience with racism within the church was probably, I mean, I'm sure that it like came to light even more and, um, you know, recognizing that there are in the LDS church, there's real cultural and even doctrinal that, you know, the LDS church tries to ignore, but justifications for that racism um you know past leaders have said horrendous things and that culture like that those that those points of doctrine then turn into culture 
when you talk about the Book of Mormon, when you talk about, you know, the curse of Cain, et cetera, et cetera. So now I guess we'll, let's move into your, your faith transition. What were the things outside of the obvious racism that you experienced um, that made you start questioning and made you really examine your experience and faith within Mormonism? Yeah. So I can talk about uh, a few of those, a handful. So, I think the thing that bothered me the most about, you know, the LDS church, being a member of it, the last 10 years I was a member, or even I, I was, I think I started having difficulty with some of the doctrine actually in, in 1999, starting in 1999. Uh, I'll start with that, right? With the position of the church towards the uh, LGBTQ plus community, right? Because in 1999, I was living in California and we were we were told that we needed to contribute money and time to for uh, I forget the number of the initiative. There was an initiative on the ballot for gay marriage to ban it or 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 to not allow it. I, I forget what it was, right? So so we were told that we need to contribute financially. We have to go and campaign for that. And I had a lot of uh, trouble with that. And I did not like that at all, right? Uh, I didn't understand why the church wanted to get into that. Uh, you know, I felt like it was uh, the ones, the, the, uh, this community that, that was once persecuted, the, 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 the Mormons, right? Now we're persecuting another community, right? The LBGTQ plus community. I felt that uh, maybe, you know, you could disagree with uh, gay marriage with, without trying to, you know, fight it so hard uh, like they were in those days. Uh, so I did not like that, right? The stance of the church towards towards the LGBTQ plus community, I didn't like it at all. That was one thing that didn't sit well with me. The other thing that really bothered me so much is how the dissent, how the church, the LGBTQ church handles dissent, if, especially for scholars. If you're an academic and you write a book that is not uh, favorable to the LDS church, then you get excommunicated, basically. I mean, obviously, it takes, uh, they will talk to you or you know, send you to a disciplinary council or, or whatever they do, right? But at the end, oftentimes, if you hold your ground, you get excommunicated. Just because you disagree with something or you wrote a book that uh, threatened the establishment, you know. So that did not see well with me at all. And when I would bring it up at home, it would bring contention in the home because my wife was very orthodox and I would voice my my dislike of this or not my dislike. It was more that I would just... It was just, uh, I just hated it, right? That, that that's how they uh, would manage, uh, that they were so intolerant, right? With, with people exercising uh, free speech, to be honest with you, like saying what they thought. So that, that was very, very, you know, something that I started having a lot of uh, trouble with uh, for the last, uh, I don't know, 15 years that I belonged to the church. But I would not talk about it too much because if I did it at home, the Heidi would get mad that I, you know, I couldn't, so I just kept kept it inside. So the other thing that really bothered me, and, and that I'm talking about 15 years ago, is the wealth of the church. And I know today we know that 
you know, the FCC thing happened and the, you know, the church will have to pay a fine. But I'm talking about 15, 20, you know, uh, 20 years ago, I knew that the church was very, very wealthy. And I just, I didn't understand back then how wealthy it was. Now I do today, right? But it just bothered me so much. I just never could reconcile the fact that a church can have that much money. Why? I just never understood that, right? And then in the local communities or in the local congregations, you did not have enough money to fund certain activities or to go in and help people that were in need. It was very controlled the way you did that. However, the church was, um, you know, kind of accumulating all this wealth. I just, I just never understood that. Or why the churches, for example, the members have to go clean them because they, they don't want to pay for somebody to clean the church. Even with all the wealth. No, you're expecting to go clean the church and then the members go in and do a half-assed job of cleaning the church. The church stinks because we don't want to, you know what I mean? We don't want to pay for someone to go do that job. All those different things. It was, it was just, I just never understood it, right? Uh, so the money thing, the uh, LBGTQ uh, plus stands, the dissent, how they handle dissent in that church, and then, of course, the participation of women. Right, limited participation of women, uh, and uh, you go. I don't know today because I've been disconnected for like three years now. But you go to a general conference, and uh, <laughs> there's like two women that speak, and then the rest are men. <laughs> you know that that are uh, the speakers of, of that. And so, and then the history. <laughs> I just felt that they, you know, it was all like. I felt like the church was just trying to hide the true history, right? And not let people know what really happened, right? And I have a good friend of mine that, uh, that you know, served with me uh, when we were, we were missionaries together. And he left the church because of that, because of the history, you know? Um, because it, 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 he felt that the church was trying to hide things. And, and also the church doesn't, the LDS church doesn't apologize for anything. They don't apologize for anything. So I had trouble with that as well. Anyway, those were my grievances, uh, more or less. Um, I have to say one more, the discipline of the church. How they discipline people? Never agree with that. I always felt that I felt it was draconian, or it is, because they still do the same thing. And um, a lot of issues with that I had, uh, with how they dish out discipline in that church. If you make mistakes or, you know, outside of the academics, right? I told you about the academics. If you say things, I'm talking about outside of that. You don't follow certain rules and they crush you there. You're just literally crushed. And I just, and then they wonder why people don't come back, right? You know, my, my, um, my father-in-law was a bishop, BYU and so on. You know, he, Disagreed also with how it is done, right? So, so then you know, me, I, I was talking to him about, about that, and we both were saying, okay, they have a statistics on how pe- how many people get uh, handed discipline and how many come back. It's little, it's very little, very few people that come back. You wonder why, you know? So, I had a lot of issues with that, with how they administer discipline. So, I think those were the points, uh, Brittany. That uh, where I started, like really disconnecting, having this uh, 
you know, faith crisis, if you will, where I would go to church physically, but my spirit and my mind were not there. I, and oh, I, one, one last thing also, I also felt that the uh, worship meetings at the LDS church are really like, I don't mean to offend anybody who will listen to this podcast, but very empty. Like, I just, I just did not feel anything. Yeah. Uh, I really devoid of the gospel that they, you know, they thought, like they, you know, how people, a lot of people in the earlier church say how they love the gospel. But when you go to the sacrament meeting, I just, I just wonder where is the spiritual food here? You know, uh, very uh, mechanical. Uh, you talk about a lot of things that have nothing to do with Christ in, in sacrament meeting. Uh, uh, so, so you know, it's really, I don't know how I did it for so long. I know I did it for so long to keep the peace at home, you know. That's why I did it. But uh, I, I was so disconnected for so long. And I my body was there in the church, but my spirit and my mind were checked out like years ago, you know. Yeah, this is absolutely relatable. And it really is tragic in a way. I, As you were talking and, you know, you mentioned that they don't, do apologies, which is absolutely true. And yet they are so strict on dissent and discipline and shutting out any sort of voice that doesn't conform and people that just make genuine mistakes, right? So in the LDS church, there's a very real atonement theology that you, you know, have to repent and have the basically repentance buy-in from your leadership. And so you're expected to apologize. You're expected to, you know, not take the sacrament or communion as essentially a punishment, although they probably, they wouldn't use that word, but you know, there's, there's all this, there's all these ways that you're supposed to reform. And yet the actual institution does not, they don't follow those same rules at no. all. And so and it really is humiliation the way I see it. Yeah. I'm not talking about justifying somebody's mistake, but people are humiliated because it's supposed to be confidential and it is not yeah. because you cannot pray, you cannot participate in callings or anything else. So obviously everybody knows that you've been under discipline, right? Because you're not participating and then. A lot of, I wouldn't say everybody, but uh, every leader does that, but quite a few leaders, uh, they, they uh, cannot, cannot keep whatever the issue was contained. They, they will say what it was, right? So, you know, people's personal lives are out there in everybody's mouth because it's supposed to be confidential and it is not. And the whole construct of the disciplinary council or it's, it's ridiculous. You're supposed to have half of the, the uh, high council for, uh, supporting you and the other accusing you. I mean, I mean what? Uh, so to me, I just felt like the whole thing was based on humiliation uh, and not really wanting somebody uh, to to change their lives uh, you know, for the better. That is not what the program is, right? It's, it's, it's all about humiliating somebody. And I know people, right, that went through that. Uh, and... Uh, if the best thing you do is, is 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 just not show that you're defiant or anything like that because that they can really make it difficult for you if you want to stay in that church. Mm-hmm. If they feel you're defiant, you know, then they uh, make you wait, you know. 
to whatever it is, if it's that you got excommunicated and they make you wait longer, or if you're uh, this fellowship, they make you, I mean, it's, 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 it's draconian. I'm telling you, <laughs> I just, I had a big problem with it. Yeah. I remember I, I never went through any sort of formal discipline, but I do remember when my husband and I were in the, you know, pits of our faith crisis, our neighbor who I think he was the elders quorum president or he was in the elders quorum presidency or something, but he was a good friend of ours. And he came over one night and basically just said, uh, you know, I just want you to know that the whole ward council basically had a meeting about you guys <laughs> and, you know, of like, what are we going to do about the Mangelsons? And um, it was not pretty. And he kind of came to our defense a little bit, but he was just like, you know, just so you know, this is happening. These conversations are happening. They're, you know, really concerned about your faith and your membership in the church and yada, yada, yada. So it kind of tipped us off knowing how strict our leadership was in that ward that we knew that if we officially joined community of Christ, like they've already talked about, you know, excommunicating us or doing something if we joined. Right. So as soon as we joined community of Christ, we resigned from the LDS church and later found out that, yeah, those rumors, if you will, were true and that there was, you know, going to be a disciplinary council for us to be excommunicated. And it's like, gosh, after like there was no even conversation with us, right? But it was already being planned. <laughs> so, no, no. so it's crazy because I don't care saying it. it. It really gives me freedom. But I participated in in that uh, pro. That, I say program. I don't know. Now that I'm out of the church, in that process, from different perspectives, right? Right from different perspectives. To be honest with you. Uh, and uh, as a leader, and, and then on the other side of the uh, equation, right? And it, it's it's crazy. Uh, as a leader, I, I'll have to say also, it's very uncomfortable for people to be the ones that are handing down the discipline. It's not only taking it, so it's, it's, the whole thing is it's just, it's crazy. So it, I'll, I'll add one more thing. Uh, with Heidi, I, I uh, not anymore because... You know, she's not really involved with the LDS Church anymore. But I had this fear that they were going to excommunicate her. You know, because she kept posting things in Facebook after after she stopped going to church. And I I felt that that was okay if they did. I wouldn't care. Okay, do it, whatever. But I don't know how she was going to take that. <laughs> and I don't know if it was going to, like, really uh, crush her or whatever. But I had this fear for about a year that they're coming to crush her you know because she would say she was very vocal she is still very vocal but now i think she's in a different space right where she feels that um her faith journey it's in you know she has, just have to do that right just have to go to facebook and say things and so on and I think part of it was kind of like uh, venting, maybe, uh, in, in Facebook. Uh, but, it, you know, the bishop and the other leaders of the world were there seeing those things. So I'm like, oh, boy. Not that I was afraid that, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I, I didn't care what they thought, but I don't know how she would have taken, how Heidi would have taken to being excommunicated or something. Or, or invited to a council over the things she was saying on Facebook, you know. So it's just crazy. 
Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying because not only is it uh, embarrassing, but it's, you know, them having control over your whole lived Mormon experience, right? So like for them to decide that she's no longer worthy to even have her name on the records, if that's something that is still important to her for whatever reason, you know, and maybe like having that taken away from her would be devastating to her family or whatever. Like it causes, there's potential to cause so much more conflict that you don't have control over. Someone else has control over your, you know, spiritual autonomy or however you want to phrase it. And that's, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. So I'm wondering now, because I know we already, we did talk to Heidi about her faith transition story, but when in this timeline do you guys kind of mesh and start to actually talk about faith stuff? Because that's uh, relatable as well. You know, my husband, Josh, was definitely... Uh, on his faith journey. And I was like, but we're Mormon. And it was really threatening to me, Um, you know, but then we got on the same page. So what did that look like for the two of you to realize like, okay, maybe we're both doubting. Maybe we can both explore this journey together. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, um, you know, I mentioned all the different uh, disagreements I have with the church, you know, the the wealth, uh, the LGBTQ plus stances, the um, discipline that they, you know, the, dis- the disciplinary program they have, um, you know, all those different things. But in Utah, we lived in Utah from 2017 to 19, and it had nothing to do with the church. The reason we were there is because of uh, Heidi's job. She used to work for JetBlue, got transferred to Salt Lake City, and I work remotely, so I can work anywhere in the continental U.S., right? So we moved there because of her job. And in those two years we were there, one of our kids, the middle one, Mateo, we have two boys, Tino is the oldest, Mateo is the middle the middle one, and then Sarah, the youngest, he came out as, as, as gay. And we, you know, I kind of suspected for a long time since he was little that he was gay, but, you know, I was just waiting for him to tell us, right? And I think he was a little bit afraid of telling us because he wasn't 100% sure if, if we were going to accept him. He felt he, we would, but he wasn't sure. So he did it by text. And he said, we, I got to tell you guys something. And we said, yes, tell us. And he did it on his birthday also. I, he was 14, I want to say. And he, and he says, I like boys. That's how he came out. He said, I thought it was cute. I like boys. And then I, and then I said to him, and, and we love you. So there's nothing wrong and nothing's going to change. And that's how it goes, right? So uh, he was crying when he wrote the text. He was just so scared. But then he was so relieved, right? That uh, So what? When he came out, so what? We love you, right? We support you. Nothing changes. But at that time, 2018, I want to say, we were still trying to go to church and make it work. Well, me, I was checked out, to be honest with you, in 2017. I went to church because I wanted me to go to church. And, you know, I felt like, like I just go to church, right? But Heidi was, and I know this is about me, not her, but she's still trying to make it work, Um well, it was just, it's just very hard to make it work, as we all know, right? And uh, so my son, um, 
he got uh, some uh, in our in those two years we were there towards the second year he got uh, to the point where he was suicidal. He had suicidal ideation, and uh, we had to take him to the University of Houston, um, the hospital there where they have a mental uh, health uh, um, clinic, or, you know, where he had to go there because he, he kept saying he was going to, you know, kill himself and all those things. So he was there for about four days, and he, some of the things were triggered, because of what happened at school, because he was told that he was going to go to hell and all those different things right after general conference, you know, some kids, you know, told him you're gay, you're going to go to hell and all of that. Because he was openly gay, right? People knew that he was gay and he wasn't shy to say I'm gay. You know, I felt like I can think, you know, I, I, I felt like I had the freedom to talk more about my disagreements with the church, right? That's so an opening there because, of course, Heidi you started to have a lot of doubts about the church. And uh, our last two to three months in Utah, we did not even go to church, right? And uh, we moved back home to Orlando, and uh, we, again, attempted to go back to the local congregation. And, but our it, it was different than before, right? Uh, we would go to church, but we were almost on the brink of being out. We were still going through the motions, uh, and Heidi still was trying to make it work, and she felt like she can be uh, a uh, an agent of change from within. And I kept telling her, I don't think that's going to work. You know, she would go to church and cry at church and at home when she got done with church, and it was just so hard. And so we started having, uh, you know, really honest conversations about you know, our involvement in church and, and, and it, it, you know, I just told her, I don't know how we can sustain this. You know, your, it was impacting her health, physical health, mental health, you know, all those different things. It, you know, the pandemic basically was, uh, was a good thing for us because uh, in, in the sense that it gave, it gave us the uh, space to really disconnect. Now that there were no, you know, physical meetings that we were expected to go to, it was just timely, right? I think we would have left the church anyways, but I think it would have taken longer. But with the pandemic, it was like, okay, this is the chance. And that's when we really disconnected, right? We went to a few meetings here and there after the pandemic, but my last uh, meeting that I attended was October 2000 and. Uh, yeah, 2000, the year 2000, October of the year 2000. And I went to church and uh, it was not a worship service. It was a leadership meeting. And I uh, never done that but before. But in the middle of the meeting, I got up and I said a few things and left in the middle of the meeting because I was so upset. And it was a first for me. We were in this meeting and there was a guy the, one of the counselors to the bishop that was saying that that if people did not show up at church, that's when they were trying to get people back to church at the end of two, the year 2000 with masks and so on, if they could. He was saying that if people don't come, it's because they don't have enough faith. And that's when I just had it. 
I went off on that guy. I didn't, of course, I didn't curse at him or anything like that, but I really um, just told him, just stop right there. Like, you just shut up. Stop right there. You don't, like I'm telling, in fact, it's probably worse than I'm telling him now. And I said, you don't have the right to, to say that. Who are, Who do you think you are to say that? And then we, you know, he kept talking over me and I was talking over him back and he was just loud in this meeting. And everybody was like this, like they couldn't believe that that was happening, the bishop, the other people in that meeting. We went at each other's throats in there. And I won the match because I was louder than him in the sense I was really loud. And I say, be quiet. I'm going to talk. Listen to what, don't say a thing. I say, who, who are you? Right. I have a wife that has long COVID at home and you're saying that she doesn't come because she doesn't have faith. How dare you say that? You know, 200. And in that point, the number was 200,000 had died because there were no, no vaccine. Now the number is, I don't know, a million, whatever. Right. How can you minimize that, man? Are you crazy? Like 20 people, 20,000 people have died. You are talking about faith here. You read, I think I even went personal to be honest with you, which was awful, but. I think the last thing I said, you're ridiculous. And then I got up and left. And that was my last uh, 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 meeting at the LDS church. And then, of course, we patched it up, me and the guy, he apologized. I apologized for going personally because I think I told, I told you're ridiculous, you know. Um, and he's a neighbor of mine, and he's a good man. Honestly, he's a good man. But what he said in that meeting, it was unbearable. To me, we patched it up. We've since gone to lunch a few times. No grudges. I'm telling you, I don't have any grudges. But but it was just a moment that I just felt like I'm not going to sit down quietly and I'm going to just go with a bang. And that was it. I went with a bang. And uh, I got calls from so many people that day uh, that they felt terrible, right, about the whole thing that he said that and that. That was my last interaction, right? So I told Heidi, I ain't going back to that church. I'm done. Right. And so she was fine with that. And then I resigned. When I say resigned, I don't know what I mean is I told, like I told, I had a call and I said, I'm not going back. Just release me. And, you know, I'm not going back and everything like that. That was January of 2001. Um, and that was it. Then after that, I was just trying to convince Heidi to not be a change maker because she thought that she can do it. And I, like you, and I was just trying to tell you, you can't. A lot of honest conversations, and also with my oldest son, who is a, a devout member of the church. You know, I had to tell him, look, I had a long conversation with him once, and I said, look, you gotta support your mom. Um, when with her leaving the church, this is not good for her. And my son was on board, so I thank him for understanding that. Um, and supporting, you know, his mom, mom. He even he he even attended her baptism um, virtually and everything like that. But yeah, those were. I think we kind of uh, long answer to your question, but I think we kind of um, were able to have honest conversations, uh, and um, and I was able to finally speak my mind with Heidi when my son you know, came out of the closet. That was the opening there. Um. Yeah, and I think that, you know, in 2020 and 2021, when church had shut down and 
churches all over the place were trying to figure this out and the political tension was so high. And I, I, I think that it helped people maybe take a step back and look at what the benefit of religious community was in their life. So for you, you have this kid who is fundamentally not accepted in the Mormon church and has, has experienced that to the point of wanting to self harm themselves and seeing that in very real time of, you know, the religious indoctrination and things like that with your wife trying to be a change from within while she has long COVID, I mean, I, you know, meeting her, I remember one of the first things that she was posting about was all of her issues having COVID, um, you know, and she had had COVID months and months before, but she was still dealing with, with the impact of it. So for, it just seems like it was the perfect storm, right? So you've got this frustration because of how the church has, how the LDS church has treated your kid and how it's tormenting your wife because she wants to be, you know, the change and she wants to make it better. And yet she has no power, like you had said earlier, um, to actually make change and then to have faith be weaponized in the midst of the pandemic. And I, I do appreciate, you know, that you said that your neighbor was a good guy. And because um, those situations, you know, can be awkward, especially when you are neighbors. But I think that that situation also speaks to the larger culture. And your neighbor, the, you know, the guy you were talking to, he was just probably feeling some of that same angst and, um, you know, couldn't control the culture himself and uh, kind of speaking the party line, if you will, not really recognizing how it hurt people. And he really expressed that to me and I I appreciated that. And and he is, I mean, he really is a nice man. Um, But yeah, he said what he said. And he expressed that to me later. He told me what I said was so so unthoughtful. I mean, I was just careless, you know, the stuff I said there and everything. I try to be more careful in what I said. You know, when we left the church, then Heidi discovered the you know, community of Christ. Uh, and I think that's documented in one of your podcasts. First, she started attending the uh, um, Beyond the World, the online congregation. And, and I would listen on the side and then things and I and I just could not believe that that church CLC had a, a common beginning with the LDS church I just I mean for the longest time I could not reconcile that right I just couldn't see how these two organizations had the same root you know uh, so I started listening to uh, John Hamer John Hamer I get, I get the name right um, yes, and then Andrew and so on. And then one day she wanted to go to the congregation here and I went uh, in Orlando and I went uh, mostly out of cu- curiosity because I'm very curious. It was an anthropo- anthropological experience or, or attempt for me, not really religious. I just wanted to go see what this church is all about. And then I was uh, pleasantly surprised at so many things when I went there for, for the first time. Um, I don't know where to begin. Uh, guys wearing shorts at church. Um, older men uh, serving the sacrament. A meeting that was really relaxed and not driven by protocol. Like so methodical, like the LDS sacrament meeting is just everything is calculated and 
you know, and there's a huge emphasis on, on reverence, uh, so much, right, on reverence. And here you you can feel a great spirit too. You, you feel great. I mean, and you hear about the gospel, but you don't have that pressure on, uh, on you have to be reverent and all those things. So it's, it's less structured. And of course, all the women running the show, right, in this congregation that we went to. But the thing that caught my eye the, the, the most uh, was uh, uh, the joys and concerns, I told Heidi. Uh, I just thought that that was just spectacular. That you go to a, and I still do today, that you go to a congregation and that part of the service is devoted to listening from people that are sitting there about their everyday lives, right? Uh, uh, so that was just unbelievable to me, right? That the people, you know, would go in and say all these happy things that are happening and then not so happy things that are happening too, you know? And I love that it was one hour. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> you know? Like the, 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 uh, the one, well, actually there's two meetings. I know that there's two things, right? You, and I have been to other worship services and I don't see the, the push to, it has to be a certain time because that's the other thing, you know, sacrament meeting in the LDS church doesn't mean early. You have to feel the hour. If somehow the speakers are done, then the bishop comes up or whoever to talk about to feel the hour. I don't, I don't, so I didn't see that in this, in the uh, community of Christ and uh, uh, congregation here in Orlando. And then the other thing too, no one is trying to, you know, Proselyte. Gosh, what a relief! You know, you you can go there and, and you don't have that pressure to the point that I told Heidi this recently. I said um, I'm not a member of COC, but I told her like I was a, a, a LDS for so long, like 30 years. And of course, I invited people to church, but I think I did it because it, 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 the pressure you have to do missionary work is so strong, right? And sometimes, uh, honestly, I didn't invite them because I didn't feel comfortable having them there. Like I didn't want something to happen to you know, you know, something uncomfortable happening to them. Honestly, that's why I didn't invite people to go to church sometimes. And I would refrain on the missionary work and take a shield pill on that because I felt like some of my friends would not feel comfortable there, right? And it is a compliment to COC that I told Heidi the other day, I can invite anybody I know, anybody I know to COC. And I can extend that invitation just fine and feel okay and having them come and you know, and sit there and listen to stuff. Uh, so, so that's how much I like this church. You know. Uh, uh, anyways, well, I would say that you are a great missionary for Community of Christ, and you are very enthusiastic um, in all of the interactions that I've had with you, and the way that you're able to articulate who we are. You've got us figured out, which is which is pretty good. And I, I do, I just relate so much to everything that you've said, you know, this idea that like, how in the world did these two denominations have a common start, right? <laughs> I've done a pretty thorough deep dive into the history. And like, logically, I could, like, I can tell that story of how we got to where we are today. But every once in a while, I'm like, really? 
how did this happen? <laughs> because... I don't know. It's crazy. Like I, I was telling my daughter, Sarah, who is not, uh, she's, I don't want to say anti-religion, right? But maybe that, maybe she is anti-religion, right? After what happened to her brother, especially because what happened to her brother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the pressures that we receive or that Heidi mostly receives from her, her parents, Sarah's mm-hmm. grandparents, that I was telling her the other day, I said, Sarah, the COC church is nothing like the LDS church. Like, because we've invited her to go with us and she refuses, uh, and it's okay. We're not going to force her or anything like that. But I just told her the other day, you have no idea, Sarah. It's like completely different. And then when we, and then finally the other day she listened after we came back from World Conference, she was asking questions and she's like, can you drink? <laughs> <laughs> and I can tell now that she's more okay. Maybe I'll go one day um, because I told her about World Conference and how what we did there and you know how the service was and everything. And so I cannot say enough to her and Mateo, my gay son. I also tell them. I say you have no idea. This church is like you guys are going to be blown away if you go to a service because what I think they're expecting to see some Mormonism, mm-hmm. the COC, because of the common roots. And I said, oh my goodness. There is nothing like that. I, I just told them. And I continue to be, um, you know, just pleasantly surprised right, by, the, by the church. To the point that uh, Heidi told me, uh, I had no idea. When I went to World Conference, I guess I was talking to three apostles. And I had, three apostles and I had no idea. And I had zero idea. Like, oh, I forget the name of this gentleman. He's a uh, historian also. And I'm an Mark. apostle. Mark yes. Okay. Yeah, I had a full-on conversation with him for like 15 minutes when we had the Seekers uh, pizza party. And I had no idea. Neither he made any attempt to tell me I was a leader in that church. So Heidi said, who do you talk to? I said, I'm just talking to this guy. I, 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 there, I didn't really talk to too many people because then we had to go to the pizza award. And then she's like, he's an apostle. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I like it that way. I really do. I have no idea. And then we go and Charlie Carter, his wife, uh, just I'm... got noise released. It's the word she got released from the she stepped down. Mm-hmm. And he gave us a tour of their apostle offices. And I was talking to this other guy and I had no idea either that he was an apostle. Because we just had a, a conversation about Orlando and his English or Welsh, I can I forget, from the UK. Yeah. And then he tells me after he's an apostle. Like, what? Anyway. <laughs> So it speaks volumes to that kind of thing to me. And, and of course, I'm objective. And I tell Heidi, it is small church after all, compared to the LDS church. So I put, you know, I try to put it, I, I try to think of it objectively, right? If the LDS church was small, maybe you can talk to these people, but I doubt that it would be the same interaction. I really do. Uh, what I see here is, uh, boy, like these people that have these big jobs, you can't even tell. And to me, that is a great thing, right? We went to a, a queer service, worship service, Harmony, you know, the organization Harmony that put it together, or, or I don't know if they put it together, but they were mm-hmm. talking about Harmony there. And also there, I was surprised that two apostles were the ones that were administering the, the, uh, the uh, sacrament, right? Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I'm like, who are those people, Heidi? You know, so it's just so awesome. 
to see that. I have to tell you, from I'm an outsider, or I not an outsider. I feel like I, I'm part of the community, even though I'm not a, an official member. But it is so awesome to see that, Brittany. I cannot. I don't even have words to express how awesome that is. Yeah, it that your stories remind me. World Conference 2019, I had an old Mormon neighbor that was just in town in Independence going to various church history sites. And she contacted me because she knew I was in Independence and she wanted to come see the temple. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can come show you the temple. And we met in the foyer. And this was like the first or second day of World Conference. So like tons of people are going crazy. So we're we met in the foyer and Barb Carter came walking down the stairs and, you know, I hadn't seen her in a couple of years. We hug. It was great. And then I introduced her to my neighbor and she did not introduce herself as an apostle, but she's like, oh, can I show you around? And so we, you know, Barb took us a little bit and she was, you know, giving her a little bit of a tour. And I mean, it was brief because Barb had somewhere to be and, but she stopped and, you know, gave us a little tour. And then after Barb left, I said, that was an apostle. And my neighbor was like, what? Blown away, right? (laughs) She was totally blown away. And, but she was really appreciative that a woman was an apostle and that she would stop and give a little tour and also not lead with her authority and, you know, just wanted to keep things relaxed. And this is Brittany's neighbor and this is her friend Barb. And it was just totally relaxed and chill and, you know, a really good experience for all of us. So the culture is definitely different in community of Christ. Yes, it is. It's just the other thing I was going to say, uh, I spent a lot of time um, feeling, uh, you know, so imperfect in the Mormon church um, because of the, uh, uh, you know, all the uh, expectations, right, to be uh, this certain person, right, that you're supposed to be. And I find that uh, the gospel as preached in C- in COC, it, it, it just allows for more grace. And for me, I'm just a human being, right? I just made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I make them today. I will make them tomorrow. To really, really talk about the gospel, right? I, I will say that, uh, you know, I, I just love the, uh, the, 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 uh, the way that the, people at COC, you know, see Christ and see grace and all those different things because, uh, you know, God knows I need grace in my life, you know, and and I think it was, for me, it, it was just hard sometimes because um, I, I don't even know how to articulate the thought, but it, you almost have to be this perfect person in the LES church. It's, it's, it's just really hard to, to measure up to that. And even though you think, and I, even though I thought that it didn't play with my mind, it did. I, you know, because I would talk to myself sometimes and say, okay, well, this is how I see things. And this is how the church sees things, but, but it really plays into your head. And I, I don't have, I, I, you know, I don't have all the big words to explain this, but I think part of my deconstruction, I, I have heard that word quite a lot, uh, part of the unpacking that I have had to do is that, like to kind of, Give me some grace, you know, uh, after being, uh, measured, you know, by the standards of the, not the standards, you know what I mean? Like this idea, by this, I, 
idea of who you're supposed to be. It's, it's just kind of liberating, to be honest with you, to know that, uh, God loves everybody and that, uh, and that there's enough grace there to, uh, to cover your imperfections. I love it. I absolutely relate to that when I realized like, oh, I don't have to be perfect. I don't even have to be striving for perfection, right? Like I can just be me and just show up as me and learn how I interact with the world when I'm not trying to just like be self I don't even, I know what you're saying and I don't even know how to like articulate the importance of it. When you are LDS and you're constantly being told that you're not enough, that you're not living up, that you could do more, that you need to conform more, everything from your politics to your culture, to your, you know, beliefs, just everything, the way you interpret history, all the things that you've said, when when that is the message and that's what you hear at church, all the reasons why you're not enough, I mean, it creates a really unhealthy, dysfunctional view of yourself and of community and of God. So I totally get what you're saying of just like, you don't have to just constantly be beating yourself up and you can just come as you are and be, and there's not that pressure. There's not that, you know... You, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah, it really, if you think about it, um, and I just thought about it now, it's the equivalent of the uh, practice that people would do, and maybe today some people still do it, where they would uh, lash, you know, kind of punish, do corporal punishment on their backs with, yeah. with, with a belt and so on. And it's, you know, I'm not saying that that's what they do. Let, let me set the record straight, but, but it, it's kind of similar, except you're not physically inflicting pain on yourself, you know, on your back and you're not bleeding and so on, but maybe your soul is bleeding, you know, because you, you just cannot, you'll get to, to this idea that you're supposed to be. There's this idea of you're supposed to be and then you're down here and the idea is up here. It, it really causes suffering and, and maybe even despair, to be honest with you, and stress and all those different things. So I'm glad that I'm not there in that, uh, you know, in that space that I feel like I, uh, I, I am free and not, you know, I, I kind of transcended that space and left that space. And I feel like grace is enough to cover me and, you know, in my imperfections. Amen. That is the <laughs> sermon. That is the message. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess, you know, my my final question would just be, what would you tell other seekers? I think it's really interesting hearing you share the things that you've told to your kids, right? Because even though they're not necessarily seekers, they're people who aren't like familiar with community of Christ, right? So what kinds of things would you tell people who are on a faith journey transition yes. um, who might be looking to community of Christ? Yes, for sure. So the first thing I will say is, um, it really, you, you have to, um, understand that, uh, it takes time to finally, uh, you know, find that journey, you know, find yourself and find where you're supposed to go. And it's, it's, it's a process. 
And and because it takes time, you have to be patient with it. And mine took forever. So if I compare Heidi and I, the reason why when I stopped going physically to the earliest church, I was pretty much like done with the faith transition, very close to done. It's because for years I went there, but I internally, I had all these disagreements with the church for years and years and years. So it takes time, right? Because if I was a member for 25 years or 30 years, I cannot unpack all of that stuff in a month or two or three months or four months or five months. It just takes time to process all these different things. But so that's the first thing, right? To, to be patient. Uh, the other thing is to be open-minded, right? I think if you are a seeker and you go to this, to CO, to the COC church and, uh, you are looking for parallels or things that are similar to the LDS church, that that's the wrong approach. <laughs> that is the wrong approach because you're going to find very little. <laughs> it's the same. But I think sometimes we want to look for familiar things uh, in comfort. We find comfort on familiar things. So be open-minded. I would say be open-minded because the differences are so large. And uh, to the point that for some people, depending on where, where they are in, the, in their faith journey, they might be even overwhelming, you know, the differences. To me, they were not because I repeat, I had my internal faith journey while physically going to church. And that's something I would like to highlight here. There's two things. You go physically to church, but where is your mind and your spirit? Is it there? And mine wasn't for 10 years. I checked out. I went to church. My body was there, but not my mind, my spirit. So when you go to, to depending on where you are in your, in your journey, just, uh, I would say be open-minded and, and, uh, and just listen there, right? When you go to COC and ask a lot of questions, uh, and you're going to find a lot of beauty, I think, in COC. As I mentioned before, I'm not even a member. I see so much beauty in this organization. And um, you, it's important, I think, to to, uh, to make connections also. And I have to say that the people here in this congregation that we go to, and also the Utah congregation, which I kind of would like to feel like I'm part of the Utah congregation, <laughs> even though I don't go there, but I feel very comfortable when I go there. They make it easy for you to feel comfortable. Right, so that's that's very nice. Uh, if you're LDS, don't expect a program for everything you go to the LDS church. Uh, the, we're, I went to World Conference. I was expecting programs everywhere I go. So now what we're we gonna do? Now what we're we gonna do? It's not like that. And I've been learning that little by little. Even when I went to that seekers party, I thought there was gonna be a program, like somebody was gonna speak. And so I was pleasantly surprised that it's more, as you guys say, about community, right? Making friendships and all those different things. So that's going to be a big shock to seekers that a lot of the things that Community of Christ does is not really, there's not a program behind it or, you know, this structure thing that you have to follow is really uh, uh, relaxed and so on. So making connections is important. We went to lunch a few times with some of the folks in the congregation. They invited us. I actually went to lunch with some of the people in the Utah congregation after the service um, with Carla and uh, and Tyler and other folks. So those were the best meetings for me because sometimes it wasn't even about religion. It was talking about other stuff. Very, actually. 
just really funny things, actually. Carla is very funny. <laughs> hey, she is funny, and I did not get to see the two of you together, and that was probably a good time because the two of you are both very funny people. <laughs> it was a prior that launch moment with Carla and Tyler was there and Michelle was there anyway. So those are the things I say. Be open-minded, be open-minded, ask questions, listen, give us some time. Don't get overwhelmed by the differences because there's so many differences and it's, 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 it's just amazing, right? And so that's what I would say. I love it. Very, very good advice. And I definitely, uh, I was just actually talking to another seeker earlier today who <laughs> was kind of in that program mind of, you know, like, well, what do you do about this? And what about this? And what do we teach this? And I was like, okay. <laughs> there we're we're definitely not as structured as what you're used to <laughs> so there's not this like correlated plan that you know you have to walk through and yeah that is a big cultural shift for people because they're always just expecting to be you know there there's a purpose that brings you further into mormonism yeah. everything where community of christ is just like we want to just be with people <laughs> it's, yes it's and yeah i'm just so so, I, so thought about something I would like to add. So, you know, I travel a lot for work, used to at least. Now I travel more for leisure. And when the pilot says, you get in the plane, um, you know, you're about to take off. And I can do a pilot impersonation where I want because they all say the same stuff. But when they say sit back, relax, relax and enjoy the flight, that is what... I encourage other seekers to do sit back and relax and enjoy the flight. You're not a flight attendant. You're not a pilot. You just sit and watch the movie unfold and enjoy the moment. That's what I would say. Mm, what a good analogy. I haven't heard anyone say that before uh, in all my years doing these interviews and working in seeker ministry. So brilliant though. That's, that's a really good. That's how it is. Enjoy the worship. Listen to the messages. Nobody, no one is going to ask you to go and visit 20 people after the service is over, which is not a bad thing. I'm not saying it is a bad thing to visit people, but you just go there to enjoy the word. That's what it's all about. Right. And I felt like I didn't get that before, and I get that as COC. I'm enjoying the word, the gospel, right? And so, yeah. So I thought about that analogy, and that's what it is, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Christian, this has been a really fun conversation. And I actually do end these usually just by asking if there's anything else that you didn't get to say, any final thoughts that you have that you weren't able to get out during the interview? Not uh, really. I think we cover a lot of ground and uh, this, this podcast is going to be long. So <laughs> maybe, I don't know. See, that's another thing too. If you, if you would have been a different, uh, if we were under a program, you would have said, okay, we got two minutes. <laughs> but another example of CLC, right? The thing went until it ran out, right? We covered what we needed to cover and that's the end of the podcast. So, Another example of, of uh, not having that structure that to me sometimes it, it's just not that great to have a structure in spiritual matters. You, you need to let things run the way they need to run, right? Just flow, right? The flow. So I don't have anything else to add. Thank you for having me here, Brittany. And uh, uh, it's been great talking to you. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I will just say really quick, I don't think these interviews ever get too long because we're just trying to provide a platform for people to tell their stories because other people identify with your story, right? So folks are going to hear your story and see themselves in your journey and hear your experience. And I really feel strongly with these faith transition interviews that, you know, more is better because we've all been through something similar and maybe our reasons for leaving the church of our birth are different or the church we, you know, spent like you decades in. But what has brought us to community of Christ, there's those similar threads. And so, again, it's all about creating community. And even if that's, you know, a community of podcast listeners. So I'm grateful for your vulnerability and your openness and just how you've been able to articulate your story and all the complexities of joining the LDS church, leaving the LDS church, and then associating yourself with community of Christ. So Thank you so much. And I will also just say, as the pastor of the Solly Congregation, I totally think that you are part of us. So anytime, anytime you want to come or Zoom or whatever, you are absolutely welcome. So thank you very much. Thank you, Brittany. 